In terms of being mayor, I was horrified by what I was observing on the federal level in the United States. And I realized that I could actually, on the local level, effect change on issues that were important to me. Welcome to What's Ethical, a podcast sponsored by Warburton Advisors, where thought leaders engage on how they influence others and master ethical dilemmas, all with the aim towards helping listeners deliver a triple bottom line. My guest today is Nikki Armacost. Nikki was advancing sustainable development goals long before they were announced by the UN in 2015. Nikki is an entrepreneur and a financier through her work at ARC Finance, as well as an advisor to various private companies. She's also a government official as mayor of Hastings on Hudson in Westchester County in New York. And of course, I would consider her a mentor and a friend as well. Thank you for joining me today, Nikki. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. So um, you're a government official, and you liaise with government officials. So I'd love to get your insights on being on both sides of the negotiation table and really um, helping our audience on implementing projects. So can you give us a sense of what you think is an effective approach when communicating with either quasi-government or government agencies, especially uh, when there's a potential violation of the law? Well, I think the thing to keep in mind is most public officials, even creative public officials, are operating with constraints. And so if you work with them, if you, if you try and understand the constraints that they're operating under, if you ask questions that enable them to be able to help you uh, achieve your goal, you're much more likely to be successful. So, so interesting because it's true. A lot of us will think of a government official as bureaucratic, as the starting point. And we do hear regulatory guidance in lots of different realms where the regulators are saying, help us understand your perspective so that we can minimize bureaucracy and be innovative. So I think um, having a starting point, basically knowing your audience when you're dealing with the officials and knowing it's not a, a place of necessarily bureaucracy, but just constraints is super helpful. Um, So, of course, you're a trained attorney, so um, you come from that vantage point. Potentially, you were naturally just more empathetic to those on the other side of the table. But you've also spent your career basically what I consider on the business side. So maybe you can give us a sense of your career path and why you decided to seek public office and, and you know, sort of when you decided to run for mayor of a very busy village just outside of New York City? Well, when I was um, 11, I decided I wanted to be a human rights activist. And I wanted to be an international human rights lawyer. And um, I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know in practical terms what an international human rights lawyer did. But I knew that what I cared about was, um, was, was, civil rights and, uh, and justice for people who were excluded. 
And so I ended up um, I ended up working in an organization called Women's World Banking, which is a microfinance network, where I ended up dealing with lots of social justice type issues, particularly women's economic empowerment. In the course of that work, I realized that while these organizations were providing finance, people were still living in conditions which were incredibly impoverished from the point of view of not having access to energy, not having access to clean water, and that's why I decided to start that. The organ an organization that deals with um, economic sustainability. Um, in terms of being mayor, I was horrified by what I was observing on the federal level in the United States and seeing the kinds of dysfunctionalities um, in government that one reads about in horror stories but one doesn't expect to actually encounter. And I realized that I could actually, on the local level, uh, I could effect change on issues that were important to me. So for me, the core issue is climate change. And I wanted to be able to put in practice um, policies and regulations and laws and practices uh, which will help us in our little community be resilient to the effects of climate change down the line. There's a wonderful book called um, If Mayors Rule the World. Uh -huh. And what I realized is that at the local level, you really can affect change. You can, you can make a difference at the local level in a way that's much harder to do at the federal level. And so, um, so that's what inspired me. Oh, thank you. It's, it's interesting because a lot of our listeners are change agents. Like as I hear you reflecting when you were 11 all the way through um, your current role at ARC Finance. And when you think about, you know, am I really making a difference as a compliance officer or risk officer or an attorney that is basically in the trenches and not necessarily the top of the pyramid, taking the analogy that you had with the federal and the local government. Um, they really do struggle on certain days to confirm, right, that they're influencing good decisions, that they're making a difference in the topics that that they care about and that they spend their career really focused on. So it's super interesting to see and quite unique for our audience to hear from you, Nikki, because you've not just been in the public sector, you've been in the private sector, you've not just been in Europe or the Middle East or Africa or Latin America or America, you've been sort of all around with a lot of different cultures and from a lot of different vantage points. So let, let's get into when you are wearing um, just sort of one of your hats, let's start with your, today you're the mayor at Hastings and um, you have to do some sort of negotiation with the business person across the table from you. Um, what, what about that person in addition to the empathy and knowing that you're gonna be constrained with um, certain local protocols, what do you think really makes a a difference in that business person across the table from you so that our audience can can learn a little bit about how to be more effective as they're working with government officials. I think the key thing is to try and work out what the other person is trying to achieve. So 
sometimes what a person says isn't what they're actually trying to achieve. And so the idea that I always bring to any kind of negotiation, actually whether, whether it's as a, as a business person or whether it's as a public official, is trying to see whether what that person's trying to achieve is something that I can comfortably work with that's in the interest of the community um, or whether they're trying to do something which is not possible. Not possible either from a legal point of view, not possible from a political point of view. It's too extreme a position. Um, so it's that kind of feeling, uh, probing. Is it the common ground? Trying to find common ground is key. It's key to find common ground, but it's tricky. You have to ask questions, you have to probe, you have to cajole, you have to charm, you have to do all of these different things to understand if there really is common ground. As soon as you've established common ground, it's actually easy to build projects, uh, consensus, um, action. It's very, very easy to do that, but it can take some time to find what that core common ground is. So I'm hearing patience. Patience, absolutely. <laughs> patience, listening, um, uh, effective questioning, um, being open to a bunch of possibilities. And not necessarily pre-baking where you're going to go, because if you're listening and you're patient and you're, your expectations are that it is going to take a little bit of time, perhaps that ends up with some better results. Um, much of your microfinance work is outside of the U.S. And I think of Asia and Middle East um, when I think of some of the work I know about. When we were just talking about an approach, do you shift for different cultures? And maybe you can give us an instance of how you had to adjust your approach because you were in a different type of jurisdiction. Absolutely. You, if you want to be effective, I think you absolutely have to adjust your approach. And I think the important thing is to understand um, the way business is conducted in whatever uh, environment you're in. In the US, people tend to be much more direct. So, you know, I've got 15 minutes. Uh, tell me what you want. I'll tell you whether I can respond. Um, and then maybe let's see what the next steps are. In other cultures, you have to warm up. You, there's a lot of chit chatting. There's a lot of tea drinking. There's a lot of kind of negotiating whether whether there's commonality there, whether there are points of connection. Um, what I often do is, if I've been to the country where the person is from, I, I talk about the things that I love about that country and about places, and I try and create a connection between us um, to bridge the cultural divide. Um, that's my approach in those kinds of situations. Thank you. Um, a little uh, sort of picking up on those comments and, and shifting a little bit, I think of it as um, diplomacy, right? And it's really being critical for you in multiple roles. And for our audience, that might not be their core skill because they come from a technical background. Mm. And really where their experts are in the laws or the rules or the regulations or internal controls, we help our clients by building these programs or auditing them, and we're not necessarily always focused on diplomacy skills. So this way, all your hard work at building the controls, whether you're trying to fight corruption, 
right? It could right. be on the private or the public sector right. realm. Um, but I do think those diplomacy skills will help everyone's hard work last, be more sustainable, last a little bit longer. Um, how did you develop your own skills for diplomacy? Because you certainly need them as you go across different continents and you wear your multiple hats across the public and private sector. Yes, I think the thing that I learned um, is that listening is key to diplomacy. And you have to listen and you have to be able to hear. So you have to, including something you don't want to hear. So you have to be able to be open to, um, to this idea that you were talking about earlier, this notion of creating common ground. You have to be able to listen to hear where the other person is going, what they're trying to achieve, and work out whether you can work together. Um, you also have to be firm, and you have to be clear about what are the edges of what's acceptable in your universe. So you have to resist bullying. You have to resist um, blunt, blunt uh, um, mechanisms to kind of force an agenda, which actually isn't in the interest you know, of the business entity or the municipality or whatever it is that you're representing in that context. So it's a combination of being open and listening and uh, um, uh, compassionate and being firm and understanding where you need to toe the line. That is so hard, right? Very when hard. You're, so a lot in the audience are personally liable if the people, whether let's just say we're not going to talk about them uh, negotiating with regulators, but just with their business colleagues, and they really need to influence them. I like what you said about having some black and white, because if you're more predictable, right, there's more certainty there. Potentially, it's easier for you to influence people because they understand where you're coming from. So if they're trying to have common ground as well, that's super helpful. Uh, but you're also you're talking about being multifaceted. Maybe maybe if you could share a story where perhaps you were successful or maybe where you weren't, where you were trying to influence others and you came up against challenges. Because despite all of these efforts, there really was either one skill that you yourself were lacking or the person on the other table, on the other side of the table was lacking. So you sort of had to get through that adversity of trying to influence people to do what you know is the right thing, the right thing, but um, there's some reticence across the table. So let me um, give an example of negotiating uh, on the budget at the municipal level. So um, what I've tried to do is inculcate a reputation of being fair but firm or firm but fair, depending <laughs> on the day, which one goes first. Um, and, you know, the budget is a very interesting and tricky issue because um, keeping it within uh, a manageable um, level affects people's pocketbooks. It's really, you know, we are the financial fiduciaries for our municipality and for the people um, who live there. 
And of course, each of the heads of department see their own area of um, operations as key because we are all the center of our own universes. Mm -hmm. And so being able to balance um, negotiating with, for example, the fire department or the police who always feel as if there's more equipment that should come and it's essential and being able to make those kinds of trade-offs and help them to make trade-offs to say, you know, we don't want to increase the budget any more than this amount. What are your top three items? You know, and then and then let's let's go through a reasoned discussion as to why this versus this. These are really fascinating discussions. And and sometimes there's a bit of theater involved too, because you know, the fire department will come all dressed in their magnificent uniforms and the police will come with their guns in their pockets. And you know, there's a there's there's a there's a message that's being given just in the way that they are dressing for the occasion about the centrality of their role in the village. And of course, they're all really important, as are the people who run the library, as are the people who run the recreation department and the parks department, as is the treasurer. So, you know, our role as the decision makers is to take into account all of these different stakeholders and their, uh, their advocacy for whatever program they're operating and create a balanced scenario that ends up benefiting all of our taxpayers at the end of the day. So I'm hearing, which I love, firm but fair. I mean, it's it's pretty simple and very poignant, uh, as well as, you know, watch out for blind spots about stakeholders uh, or, you know, don't always believe what you think, because you may have a bias or a blind spot that when you're trying to influence others, if they don't think that you're open and giving enough deference to all of the different stakeholders, that can make you uh, be less effective at influencing. And I love your budget analogy because everyone in our audience is, is pitching for either technology, budget, or otherwise, because they do have a really uh, sophisticated and ever-demanding role and being asked to do more with less. So thank you so much for your time, Nikki, and your insights. My pleasure. Thank you. Learn more about delivering a triple bottom line by visiting warburtonadvisors.com. And remember to share and like this podcast so others can find it more easily.